listening to the Woman of Strength podcast for the purpose-driven woman who has a yearning deep in her soul to serve the world. Presented to you by Ange Wilcock, creator of Evolutionary Model of Well-Being, Mindfulness-Based Storytelling, and The Raw Woman Project. A businesswoman on a mission for every human on the earth to feel enough. So welcome to this episode of Women of Strength, the place to be authentic, to be yourself. You don't have to be clean and polished or anything business-like. You just have to be you. And that's the most important thing about being a woman of strength. And I love these interviews. And I've got an amazing guest today called Bonnie Gillespie. And I'm just going to read you a bit about Bonnie because it's fascinating. And um, I was just saying to Bonnie while we were off air, it was bringing up all my insecurities because I'm doing these videos and, and she comes from a great industry. So I'll read you a little bit. So Bonnie Gillespie is living her dream by helping others figure out how to live theirs. And as a weekly columnist, Remember, we're being authentic and being ourselves. She did, She just demystifies the casting process for more than 15 years. Her most popular book is Self-Management for Actors, the curriculum upon which her teaching is based. As a producer and casting director, Bonnie specializes in indie darlings. Whether casting or coaching, she is passionate about leaving the entertainment industry better than she found it. I mean, that, that's amazing. Um, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about that because one question I'd love to clarify from the very, very beginning. So indie darlings, is that independent people who? Yeah. It's more in independent projects. So in casting and producing, you either have something that's come through a studio or a network or is being independently packaged with private money and it may not have a major distribution behind it. So what it really means is very low budget projects. For instance, uh, the last film I worked on had a budget of $2.5 million, which is nothing in show business. That's yeah. That's the lunch table during an episode of uh, Big Bang Theory being shot. So, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like you're in a fascinating industry. Now, I really would love to know your story about how this came about. So obviously, we're, it's all about being a woman of strength and a, and a strong woman um, and just being ourselves. And um, Bonnie said off air before we started, because I always ask women, is there anything that um, you want to ask me? And she said, oh, it's okay if I curse. And I said, absolutely, that's you. That's who you are if you need to do that do that you know I flap around do my hands and um, don't always look at the camera I am focusing on looking at the camera at the moment but um, so Bonnie when did your journey of woman of strength begin gosh you know I would say I was I was born into it uh, in in that if I really try to think back to some of the earliest points of strength. I know it, it had to be very, very early on, uh, having been put into the Montessori schooling system at uh, age two, uh, just, just over two, like two and a half, which is the youngest they'll accept someone into their educational methods. Yeah. Um, and we were taught through the Montessori methods to be curious and to be self-starters and just always be responsible for what we begin. And so that fosters leadership from a, a very young age because you're not afraid 
to, you know, you're not raising hands or standing in single file line or waiting until it's officially time to go to the loo or whatever. It's, it's, you are motivated by whatever stirs you and you're encouraged to allow that. And so I think I was given permission from a very young age uh, and a non-traditional experience in, in our culture here uh, in the U.S. to go, go deep with some of that uh, inherent curiosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was always uh, given a yes and in my family. And yes and is a, an industry uh, phrase that we use for improvisation, that when someone uh, comes up with an idea, we always say yes and. Meet that idea with a yes and then add something to it. And I feel like I was brought up in a place of, curiosity and yes and and discovering things and then seeing what I could add to them so I, I think very early on this started for me yeah wow what what a yeah what an amazing start to life and so so that started really really early as you said so you have this um, innate knowledge or ability to to strive for things it sounds like so when you come across obstacles because having that education for a very young age when you come across sort of challenges or obstacles in life how has that taught you to deal with them or has it taught you to deal with them yeah because I think when you do come at things from a place of curiosity you don't so much even see them as obstacles Instead, they are problems to solve, and there's something about having permission to dig in and see, is this problem something I can solve, or am I going to need outside help? Um, just kind of gets us at a place from the very beginning where, uh, where maybe we don't see things as insurmountable. I've never um, come across a problem that I felt like, oh, I, I can't. I can't even tackle that. I know I may need a team in order to tackle it, but I know that it's, it's just a matter of which direction I come at it uh, to, to really take it on. And, and so I think that, that there's this, this idea of, of sort of how we frame obstacles from the very beginning, that even that labeling, uh, I think maybe just was never a part of my vocabulary. Yeah. Uh, that, that it wasn't, you know, I come home and, oh, I have these problems. It's, oh, I have these, these challenges, challenges, these interesting opportunities to explore my creative problem solving. Well, that's, that's amazing. Like, it sounds like you just had this phenomenal childhood. And obviously not all women have been fortunate enough to have that type of childhood. I, I know I certainly didn't. My, my childhood was more about, you know, it's problem, problem, problem after problem. Yeah. And I had to find out the solutions for myself. And, and that was a hard road. So what would you say... Um, so women that haven't had that background and, and they want to create that curiosity in life without all the baggage that you bring with that, how do you, you know, what advice would you give them to, to start being curious? In a way, it's, it's a, a bit of repar- reparenting. Yeah. In a sense, um, and I think that the brilliance of that is you can start it at any age. You can pick any moment and say, "Today is the day that I'm going to stop seeing this as an insurmountable problem, uh, and instead I'm going to come at it from a place of curiosity and wonder and 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 knowing that something." is possible and I can maybe chip away at it. Perhaps I'm not going to topple this in one go, but maybe I can take away some of it. And if you see anything like a, 
sort of a, a block of marble and you know that there are different tools we use to create a sculpture that you, you know you could certainly start with a hammer and chisel and and really take away some of the big chunks and then at some point you're using very fine grade sandpaper to get the shape and the uh, the softening that you want and just knowing that there are different tools for different stages of the process I think is, is something that becomes very empowering um, and I would say that the the way to come at it as an adult who maybe didn't have the advantage of, of growing up being given permission to fail and being given permission to to try uh, I, I think it really is about saying well then today I'm going to start fresh with this new way of thinking and and relaxing that muscle that may have become overdeveloped in childhood or even in early adulthood and on into late adulthood yeah. of saying it can't be done or who do you think you are or you certainly aren't capable of doing this and just sort of rewiring some of that conversation. I believe that all things are either more practiced or less practiced in our lives. And it's not a matter of I'm bad at something, it's I'm less practiced at it. And that goes with a lot of mindset stuff. And if we can just practice more of the language we want to use on ourselves, I think we can put ourselves at a much greater advantage with anything we want to attempt in our lives. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I love that phrase, relax that muscle. I mean, I, I love that. That's great. So. And I know I can, I can hear women who are going to be listening to this saying, yeah, yeah, relax that muscle. How do you relax that muscle? Because I've been trying forever. <laughs> well, in a way, it's the, the trying engages the muscle if we think yeah. about it. And, and so it is almost you, you relax the muscle by not trying. Yeah. Uh, by exactly the same way you release a muscle in a physical workout. It is, it is just a form of relaxation and sometimes it takes, I mean, I've been in a massage before and had the massage therapist say, no, no, come on, relax, let, let it go. And she'll, she'll hit on my leg, like, come on, let it go. Cause she can feel that I've got tension that I'm not letting go. And sometimes yeah. it's just breathing into that yeah. and letting that tension fall away. And there are all sorts of different tactics we can use to relax, whether it's, uh, you know, tapping or meditation or taking walks or the self-love and conversations that we have with ourselves about what is possible. Uh, but again, that's the whole, there are so many different tools to come at the same block of marble to start the process. Yeah. Yeah. So true. I mean, I, I teach mindfulness. And one of the things that, that I say to um, my women is very much about because it's about following that thought you know it's oh you try to relax they try to relax the muscle but the thought comes through and they follow the thought and it's very much about just allow the thought which is like relaxing the muscle allow the thought don't place any judgment or anything on the thought it's just a thought and then the more we bring that into our awareness we're just continually um building yeah building that muscle to relax and we and we don't follow it so and, and giving ourselves credit when we do strengthen the muscle for not yeah. following it and, yeah. because it really is it's it's so tempting to follow that thought yeah. and if instead we just go oh there it went there yeah. there, he, there he goes okay and then giving ourselves so much credit for having let it go on like that it's, oh i did a good job and and that strengthens that muscle and shows the support and encouragement that is a part of reparenting yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said before, before we started this interview, and, and I read your bio, I was like, oh, so I could feel those thoughts, you know, that thought process that, you know, is still there, you're aware that it's there. It's like, okay, 
you're going to follow this or not? And it's like, actually, no, I choose not to. <laughs> and, and knowing it's a choice is one of the most empowering gifts we can give ourselves is that I choose how I'm going to feel about anything at any moment. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And everything is about choice. Um, and that's so important to, to understand because when we know that everything is about choice, we actually understand that we are in charge of our own life and not everybody gets that. Um, you know, I, I made a choice to, to do these, these podcasts and um, interviewing people because I just love women who are out there showing up in the world and doing things. And when I made that decision, all, all my stuff came up, you know, well, who are you? Da, da, da. You've got to get it right. You've got to get it right. And then I, I said, actually, no, I don't. Because there's right. no such thing as getting it right. There's no right or wrong. It's just be who you are. Be, you know, be, be you. And that's the most important thing. Which brings me on to a question that I've had from one of my ladies. Um, who, you know, when you're being you and you've had this amazing upbringing, how do you su sustain yourself when you have to deal with hurt or sadness? Because, like, we do know that life is a choice, but none of us, I don't believe, go through life without dealing with some hurt or sadness or pain. So Certainly. how do you deal with that? It's very much like a, a, an exposed nerve on a, a nerve ending on a, a broken tooth uh, where you get to run your tongue over the spot to continue feeling the pain or you get to avoid feeling that pain and deal with treating the, the issue. And I believe that any of the horrific things that happen in our lives and we all are going to experience extreme pleasure, extreme pain, that's part of what the life journey is, comes down to how much longer we want to continue touching that painful place. And I, I, I have gotten very well practiced in not continuing to spend time playing that tape over and over again or running my, my tongue over my tooth if it's got a place that is causing pain because I realize that that is me choosing to go back to that moment. And I remember there was a, I, I had been raped as a teenager and I had not told anyone and I spent many years dealing with a lot of shame and um, just maladaptive ways of dealing with what had happened because I didn't have the proper tools for framing something that was uh, so unexpected. Yeah. And I remember there was a, uh, a thing on my college campus that was called Take Back the Night years later where uh, women were marching through the streets and saying, you know, that we deserve to be able to go where we want to go and dress how we want to dress and experience our lives and not be seen as uh, potential for, uh, for that sort of attack. And I remember feeling like, oh, I have to go get up and be a part of that. And I had never before even talked about it, much less mobilized myself with a group. And the moment that I just said, oh, I need to be done running this over in my head and having this be a block in every relationship that has come since then. And then having that be that surprise moment of why is this relationship falling apart? Oh, because I haven't yet dealt with something that was pretty big. And to have that moment where I was actually interviewed by uh, someone in the media while on this March. And I remember the reporter saying, you know, why are you marching today? And I said, we have a choice anytime that we're victimized 
to stop being victimized after that moment or to continue being victimized ongoing by our response to what happened. And I realized that I had chosen to stay in a victimized place over one incident for years. And I have seen a pattern of obviously many people making similar choices and then deciding, well, that's my life and that's the story of my life. And I think that, again, it comes down to our choice and taking that choice back and saying, I'm going to be done telling the story of the victim and instead I'm going to tell the story of the survivor and not to then become oh, this is now my platform and I'm going to always talk about this. It's actually not something I talk about much at all because I don't feel that it has defined or shaped me because I, I don't carry it around with me in the same way that I once did. And I, I think all of that is, is just a, a deeper exploration of the choice that we have in anything that we experience in life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, and, I, and I love that you were able to differentiate between actually I want to be the survivor and, and not the victim. Um, and that takes, well, I believe, um, you might tell me something different, but I believe that that actually takes a lot of courage to stand into that power of, of who you are because it is part of our story, isn't it? All our experiences in life are, are part of our story. And so when you made that decision that you were going to step into the survivor, move out of victim and into survivor, and you went on that march and had that interview with a journalist, how did that feel, you know, being in that place? At first, it was very um, scary because it was new, uh, and I I had to correctly label it. And a big part of my work that I do with actors and creatives is about properly labeling uh, the experiences that we're having and the feelings that we're having because I, I think that we can skew the experience just by labeling things incorrectly and and giving away a lot of power and so I had to realize well I'm terrified having this conversation right now because I am I am stepping out and talking about something that I have kept very quiet and that is a very bold and brave thing but it was also my way of drawing a line in the sand and saying this is now going to be past me and ongoing future me in relationship to this issue and I only go back over that line that I've drawn by choice. And so once I got over the initial fear of, oh gosh, what are people going to think of me? Because that was the first thing is what, what are people going to think of me? How are they going to define me? Are they going to feel sorry for me? Are they going to judge me? There were all these questions. And I said, well, it doesn't really matter what anybody is thinking about me or saying about me, because look at what I was saying about myself and thinking about myself. And that was far more damaging. Yeah. And once I took the reins on that, I feel that it sort of made irrelevant what anybody else thought or said or thinks or says about me on that or any other issue uh, in life because I, I have a very solid center and set point of, uh, of who I am and what I'm about and, and knowing what things define me versus flavor me. And that distinction is a big one because I've had a lot of experiences in, in my life that I would say they've flavored me. They, yeah. are, they are part of the seasoning of yeah. who I am, but no one experience has defined me. And I think that we tend to give away a lot of our power and our strength by letting one particular issue or a series of particular things 
define us in ways that may not be as healthy for us as if we instead let them flavor us. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah, flavor us. It's had some, you know, that we're, there's all different seasonings going into who yeah. we are. I, I love that because it is, we are a big melting pot, aren't we? And, and we do, yeah, we, we do choose um, what we decide to put in that pot. So I love that. It's, yeah. And for me, that, that does take that inner strength because like you said, it's so true about what will people think? Well, it is irrelevant because what we tell ourselves is actually far worse than anyone would ever think about us. So Always. When, we, when we understand that, it is, it is that place of, you know, oh, we can move on from this. Yeah, so, I, yeah, I love it. You're giving us some great gems. Thank you. Now, again, there's another um, great question that um, one of my women asked because, you know, we, we some of us live in a world where it can be quite challenging and um, life, you know, feels really heavy and really difficult. So one of the questions that um, she's asked is, what makes you laugh out loud? Oh my gosh, so many things. Um, it's, it's interesting, when, when my husband and I married, we, we basically had two, and vows are not even, it's not even the right word, we, we had two pieces of commitment that we gave one another, and the first one was always trust that we have each other's best interest at heart. And that was so that even if we're fighting, we trust that it's because we want the better version of one another. And we, and we are, come from a place of just deep knowing that we're always looking out for each other's best interests because then that allows us a great deal of freedom in everything else that happens in our lives. Yeah. And then the second vow basically is always go for the funny. And it's because if we can't laugh, if, you know, if, if I set you up to take a shot at me and you don't take a shot, I judge you because I'm like, I set you up to make a joke at my expense. Take the shot. Yep. And so when I think of things that make me laugh out loud, it's so much of my every day because we have woven into our partnership uh, it's something that we both have felt is incredibly important just in life, which is to find things to crack up about. And whether it's uh, a crazy neighbor going off on like how mad she is at the mailman and I'm listening to her just ranting like she's crazy upset and I am laughing because it is comical uh you know all the way down to you know my cat doing something silly and and playful and that bringing me joy like there are just things that will float into my brain that will make me laugh out loud and and my husband will say what and I'll I'll say well I can share the story but it really is just something that I'm playing up here um, because I do think that that laughter and that sense of joy is such a vital part of uh, our our life's work and and enjoying the journey uh, because really that that is what it's all about anything that we accomplish or achieve is is not fully joyfully appreciated if we are not in a place of joy. And so I find that laughter, especially being in the entertainment industry, is something that I get exposed to an awful lot of. And I, I lean into that as much as I can. Yeah, cool. Well, and what about, so you, know, you spoke about your husband. So how does a strong woman um, operate in a, in a relationship, in a marriage? 
It's interesting because I, I always thought I wouldn't be the marrying type. I, you know, obviously, as mentioned before, I, I had early life experiences that made it uh, easy for me to default out of relationships or bail when things started getting too serious. And I was pretty convinced that I was going to just always go it alone. And I, I was fine with that um, because I, I feel very self-sufficient and, and, and I, I get what I need out of, out of my relationships at whatever amount of intimacy I allow. So I wasn't ever concerned over much with that. And when my husband and I met, I remember him saying, uh, you're not going to run me off. And I said, oh, yeah, I am. I, I am an expert at running people off. And it, we'll, we'll get to a point where it's too close, too scary. And I can assure you, I, I will run you off. I will do all. I know, I know my scripts really well. We met when I was 30. So I had like, I know all my all my things and I know what I will do to run you off and I will. And he said, I can't wait to prove you wrong. You are never going to run me off. And I, I know that I am incredibly lucky to have connected with someone who has no interest in being run off by me. I can't scare him off. I can't be yeah. I can't be so strong that he feels emasculated. I can't be um, so needy that he won't be giving. Like he, he just is in it for life. And I am learning, and we're together 16 years next month. Um, I am learning that, uh, thank you, that I am also in it for life. And I never thought that would happen. And I think a lot of that came from having a really great sense of self and, and not feeling like I needed to be completed. And I think a lot of people, especially strong women, have this weird little voice that's telling them, but I need something more. I need, I need completion. And that almost belies the strength because if you're truly strong, you know, you are enough. Yeah. And, and then in knowing you're enough, you attract someone who also knows you're enough and there's not any goal that we have to complete one another or, make each other into something that we need. We just really have a blast together. And that's what makes us uh, such a successful couple. And we live and work together. So we, we are together 20 hours a day. Wow. Uh, we, we built my business together and, uh, and he works for me. So it's, uh, it's a lot of personal time together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's great because um, I think, yeah, like I got married, this is the third, last marriage, um, and I set myself up, you know, prior to this marriage, it was always, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can to sabotage and you're, you're not going to step up and, and, and stop me from doing it. Right. And, um, yeah, so two disastrous marriages with, with amazing men. But, and uh, so, yeah, with, with my third marriage and with, with my husband um, now, it was I'd gone into that whole marriage. I knew who I was. I was incredibly strong. I didn't need anyone. I, I, wanted, I wanted a marriage. And, um, and we have an amazing marriage. And we, and we push each other. You know, we, we do push each other's buttons. In, in the sense that because we want to continue to grow. Absolutely. Like, you know, we, we don't, we're not reliant on each other. We do our own thing. We do things together. Mm -hmm. What I love about being strong is that I know what I want. I know what my life looks like. I know what I want in my relationship. 
but I also feel safe to be vulnerable. And I think Very that's much the whole so. thing, you know, people think, oh, strong women, you're not vulnerable, you're not caring, you don't have a big heart, you can do everything on your own, and it's bullshit. You yes. know, we can't. What, what we are in our strength, I believe, in, in terms of me being a strong woman, is that vulnerability to say, hey, I'm not coping with this today, and, okay. I, and I don't feel a lesser person for saying that. Um, so how, Absolutely did, true. how did your husband deal with that when you have those days? Because obviously we all have those days. I think it's more about communication than anything else because it, it works both ways and it works even outside of my marriage into my work with other producers or with actors, the clients that I have. It is of vital importance that I am clear about my boundaries yeah. and sometimes that's, Hey, today's got to be a self care day. So I'm, you know, I have to be able to tell my team y'all are in charge of all communication today because I got to tap out and put myself in the spa or in bed or just go for a walk. But also it's about not letting it get to um, a, a crisis point before setting those boundaries and getting incredibly clear in maintenance level self-care because I think a lot of people especially if they're trying to be strong uh, think that there's no time off there's no rest yeah. and the strongest people wall off beautifully their self-care time and we're really good about taking breaks and saying you know this is where the line is and that you know clients aren't going to be able to reach me by text 24 hours a day because it doesn't matter what dollar amount you've spent getting to work with me, you don't buy 24 seven access because, because that doesn't exist for, for anybody at any price. Yeah. And I, I think that that's where, especially as business owners, we can get a little wonky in our boundaries because we feel like we have to give so much and we have to be so available. And especially once we do bold things like raising our rates and things like that, we go, Oh, I, I have to make sure that I'm constantly available. And it's like, yeah. then you're not modeling the kind of behavior you want your clients to have, Absolutely. which is those healthy relationships. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, lo I love that because because that's very much, <laughs> that's me and that's what I'm always saying. And and I say that to my clients, you know, the boundary is, you know, because they say, well, boundary, what's a boundary? And it's actually, it's, it's the line where I end and you begin. It, it's, you know, this is my space and this is your space. This is me and this is you. And we have to be really, really clear around that. And, and I see that as a, as a, core strength of being a strong woman because putting those boundaries in place um, does take courage and it takes mm -hmm. commitment because if we don't do that what happens is all the monkey mind comes in or what's someone going to think because I've had to reschedule today or oh my goodness I put my prices up for me that doesn't exist in my mind anymore it right. might momentarily um, but I strengthen that muscle, as you call it, and it's mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah, well, it's actually irrelevant now. It, it doesn't matter. So I love to hear that because when we talk about being a woman of strength and being the strong woman, I, I love to hear the fact that you also, you, there's that other side. There is that balance. There is that mm -hmm. vulnerability. There's days when you go, actually, I just want to, you know, disconnect from the world. It, it's not I'm disconnecting from anyone. It's just I'm going back into me because that's so important. Um, well, because if we don't fill the well, there is nothing to give not, to others. No, no. And, and so what would your key message be 
to women out there who are still going around and around on on this merry-go-round of wanting to be everything to everyone but wanting to be strong not knowing where that balance is you know how how do we center ourselves to get back to that place of strength Gosh, one of the best things I heard and not too long ago heard this and loved it so much is that if you were to look at the population in thirds and divide the population that way of the entire planet and realize that a third of the population is is made up of your stark raving mad fans. They absolutely love you. Everything you do, they are ride or die. They're right there by you. You could do no wrong. They want all the emails. They want all the, the contact. They absolutely adore. They're going to buy every book. They're going to watch every episode. That's the third. And that that's a third of the population of the planet. You just yeah. haven't met all of them yet. Yeah. That's really great. Then there's a third of the population that's, eh, uh, you know, yeah, I'm aware of you and I could take you or leave you. Like, I'm not mad at you, but I'm not, I'm not that into you. And okay. And then there's the third of the population that doesn't get you. They don't understand you. They're not interested in trying to understand you. The haters live in that third. And what I find is that we spend a lot of our energy focused on this two thirds of the meh and the non lovers. Yeah. Like, because that's the larger part of the population, rather than feeding that third of the population that is completely into what we are doing as we are. And so to cure the trying to be everything to everyone, it comes to being very quick to identify correctly, into me, not into me, never going to be into me. Yeah. And we stop trying to convert the latter two. And as soon as we stop trying to convert the latter two, we find that the fan base grows because the people who are in it talk about it to people that are outside our reach. Yeah. And we start to then realize that one third of the population is actually much larger than we thought because it reaches beyond just our inner circle of those folks that are aware of us, which is what we're looking at when we look at that other two thirds too much. Yeah, no, I love it. I, I love it. And that, Isn't that great? I mean, I, it's exactly I, how I live my life. And it's, yeah. like, you know, because, and women say to you, you know, you're, you're so confident, you're this, you're that. You never put up with any crap. And I go, well, because I choose to focus on, you know, that third, the people that love me. And then, then you get the question from the haters or the people that aren't so into you is that then they start labeling you as arrogant. As opposed to confident, and and I love that too because I'm absolutely like, oh, not your shit showing up. I love it. Yeah, I'm like, well, I really triggered you because yeah. you're you're over here not into me, and you're still paying attention to me. Yeah, exactly. Maybe you're secretly into yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just love it. I oh, I, I just yeah, I love it. And that was I was so inspired to when I wrote my article, it was very much, this is me and, and this so is who I am. <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm going to share it. Um, it was so, so good, Angie. It was a real rallying cry. It was really empowering and wonderful. Yeah. And I just, it just came from my heart. This is me, who I am right now. And, and I love who I am. And yeah. I don't believe I'm arrogant. I believe I'm confident. I, 
you know, I'm out there um, with all my cheerleaders. That's where I want to be. Why would I want to be with the other two thirds? You know, let, let someone else worry about that. Well, I call, I call this, we're, we're hosting a party. And yeah. if I'm hosting a party and you come into my party and look around and then go, oh, no, I'm not into it and you leave. And I leave my party to chase you down the road and yeah. find out why you left. I'm a horrible host to all these wonderful people who are gathered at my party. And I think we do that so often. And if instead we can just say, whatever, maybe they went to go get ice. They'll be back or not. But I am here as the host of this party. And that helps, I think, so much of the mindset that comes with even paying attention to yeah. that other two thirds. Yeah, I, I love it. I, I love that. That's great. I'm going to use that with my clients. Please do. <laughs> amazing. Pass it on. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, just tell us a little bit more about what you do. So, you know, the amazing work that you do and, and how you got into that. If you could tell sure. us more about yeah, that. Yeah, I, I started out as a kid actor. I was, uh, I was very young and started pursuing a professional acting career and uh, loved it and was very supported by my mom who was uh, raising me on her own. And she said, you know, as long as it doesn't cut into your grades, you can do it. This, and she would have been the same if I were into, you know, student politics or athletics or anything. As long as my outside school pursuits didn't cause grades to plummet, she was on board for it. But that meant running around a lot and hitting auditions and then rehearsals and, of course, then being available for the project. So I missed, I did miss a lot of school, but I was a very good student and had been due to that, I think, early Montessori experience. So even when I was mainstreamed into public school, I was able to stay ahead of uh, all of my studies and everything, uh, which was great. When I uh, moved out to Los Angeles to uh, pursue an acting career, I quickly learned that uh, LA is the Super Bowl of acting. And it is a very different pursuit than what I was used to in a smaller market. I grew up in Atlanta, which is a, a nice sized market for acting. It's just tiny by comparison to a place like Los Angeles where all the entertainment is created for the rest of the world when you take a look at the numbers. Uh, just It's just such a huge percentage of it is going on here. Um, and so I thought I was just going to be able to transfer over to LA and start working at the same level I had worked previously and then it became clear that's not so much the case. So I started taking on uh, little survival jobs to support my acting pursuit. And one of the many jobs I took on was interviewing casting directors. And uh, I'd gone to college for journalism because I was like, well, if I'm going to get a degree, let me get it in something to fall back on if the acting doesn't work. And journalism felt like a good fit for the way my brain operates and my level of curiosity and enjoyment of writing, but also of media. It allowed me to, to kind of still do the entertainment industry uh, part of things while learning about communications law and libel and slander and all sorts of things that were just fascinating for me uh, as a student. And it turned out that as I interviewed these casting directors, who are the people who populate all the projects, I was getting an edge as an actor because I was learning things that actors are never taught. Um, actors are not taught what to expect in an audition because it's basically a job interview and their, their thought is, you know, you'll figure it out when you get in here. And I kept going, well, gosh, the actors are going to be better if we can give them this information before they're in this room at this crucial auditioning moment. And I realized about six months into writing for one of the local papers, uh, all these uh, interviews with casting directors, that acting had been the bait 
to get me to LA so I could do the thing that I was actually meant to do, which is demystify the process of the acting business and talk about the actual business side of it and all the logistics that come before the craft uh, and that help you manage taking a career from those early stages of acting into a thriving professional career where you become known uh, and because th this isn't really taught and so it's a niche that I, I pretty much carved out for myself and it happened quite organically as I spent time talking with these casting directors and then I became one because someone that I had interviewed said I think you've got a good brain for this you you might want to try casting and I said uh, I, I don't know about that I really like the freelance lifestyle I like that every day is different you know it, it was always acting and then writing and I don't know if I want the like rolling around on a plastic pad behind a desk lifestyle of, of somebody working at a network. And she said, well, you know, try, try working for me for a few weeks and I, see if you like it. And I did, obviously, uh, because in 2003, I started casting and then eventually got into producing where I could help bring the money together uh, to help finance some of the projects that I really wanted to invest in, uh, seeing the stories get told. Uh, so I've now authored several books. The, the most popular one is Self-Management for Actors. It's in its fourth edition, third printing. It's a top seller. And in, now it is a, a, it's a, it's so cool because now it's a textbook yeah. in colleges and universities around the world where they are now teaching yeah. the business side of a creative career. And I'm so happy because that's, that's what I would have wanted was for yeah. this to get in the hands of these beautiful creative people early on in their career so that they can know going in what is really going to be expected of them because it's not just the craft. Uh, it is running a small business and, and that is something that is not often taught. And so that is what my work is, is all em empowering these amazing storytellers mm -hmm. so that they can have a lot more joy in a journey that is often seen as filled with rejection and heartache. And, and I, of course, try to help them relabel that because that's giving away an awful lot of power. Yeah, fantastic. So that, that's amazing, like amazing that this book is yeah, in, in universities and colleges, you know, teaching. That, that I love it. Because... So for you, what's next for you? Because like that's a, an amazing achievement in itself. So what's next in terms of, of your business and, and pushing you forward? Yeah, my business growth uh, in the past just few months actually has, has included a lot more of the woo-woo as the label goes. Um, I was raised in a new age household. My mom was a world-renowned astrologer and was very well known. And I grew up, you know, with people making fun of me because my mom was a witch and, you know, all the different things that you start to have to buffer yourself against growing up because you want to fit in and you've got this very strange unusual thing going on at home where, you know, instead of coming home crying about bullies picking on me and having my mom say, oh, honey, they're just jealous. She would say, oh, honey, your Venus is afflicted in Leo. And I would go, oh, okay. You know, of course, that's why I'm being treated this way because of that aspect yeah. in my chart. It just was a very different upbringing. Yeah. Um, but so I've always infused a little woo-woo into my work and even the earliest editions of the book and my columns that I wrote back in the 90s you can see tiny bits woven in, but I, I say I was hiding medicine in the ice cream because I didn't want to come at anybody from a place of spirituality and law of attraction because people can sometimes be closed off to that. Yeah. And what I've noticed, especially in the past few months, is more and more of my clients are craving it. They're, they're seeking me out for a more centered and more spiritual 
uh, attack for their path. And they are unapologetic in asking for it. And I am unapologetic in offering it. And so what's next for me is, is getting a little more out about weaving in the spirituality to, uh, to all of the work that I've always done and now being uh, less medicine and the ice cream about it and more like, here's a heaping spoonful of it, baby, and you're going to love it. Yeah. Because the people who are, are asking for it are a part of that third that are really happy to see me leaning into this. Yeah, I mean, they're your cheerleaders, aren't they? They're the ones that are there saying, hey, you've got what I want and I want to be part of this. And yeah, yeah, yeah I, I love it. It's amazing. And, and we are, you know, we are changing. Um, people are understanding this more, you know, from... Sometimes people have got to understand it from an intellectual perspective and, and what with neuroscience and, and all what science knows now, um, okay. you know, people are sort of, oh, okay, there's something in this. So, you know, I've always lived my life. Um, I never had spiritual um, parents growing up with anything. It was dead opposite. And that sort of pushed me down that, that path because it was like, well, no, this isn't life. Life is more, you know, it's greater yeah. than this. There's something greater than, than us. And um so I love that you're you're weaving that in, into your work and that and your you know your client group are asking for it. So so that's amazing. Now I'd love to finish off with you just giving um, our amazing women that are going to be listening and I'm watching this one little gem that they can take away and and start to use to do whatever from today on in to to keep continuing to step into their strength. Okay. This is actually something that is, that is new for a course that I created uh, that is in its very beginnings. Uh, it's called Get In Gear for the Next Tier, with the idea being you want to move to the next tier, and getting gear for the next tier requires almost uh, creating a more fertile soil so that you can have all the right seeds, but if you're planting them in soil that's shit and, and not going to support the growth, you can't actually get to the place you want to go. And I'm finding everyone who's experienced this course is saying, this is the, the nugget that changes everything for them. And it is understanding that there are basically stages of believing I am enough. Yeah. And when we are at a very low stage, and I, in my description of it, we've got five stages. If you are in stage one, you don't believe you're enough and you're, you're certain you're a fraud and that everybody is aware that you're a fraud and you're just hoping to hide because you so don't want them to, to call you out for you being the fraud that you are. All the way up to stage five, which is I know I'm enough and I am so busy living my I am enoughness that I can't even be bothered to notice what anybody else might be saying about how enough I am uh, because of where I sit with that knowing. And I would say the takeaway that I would want for your audience is to please start leaning toward really trusting I am enough because everything else stems from that. Yeah. If you if you can honor that you are enough and you don't need outside validation for because somewhere in there in like level three is I am enough, but boy, I like it when there's outside confirmation letting me know I'm enough, you know, and then that's me looking at the bestseller list and seeing where my book is on it. I know I'm enough, but boy, I like it when Amazon agrees. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But I don't need Amazon agree Amazon to agree 
in order to know that I am enough, which is what then takes me beyond three and up to five. And so I, I would say, find what those levels are for yourself. And rather than ever beating yourself up for being at a lower level, just try to lean in toward things that help you move toward the higher levels. Because we a lot of times see change as something that is a flip of a switch. And we get mad at ourselves when we can't flip the switch. Mm. And I like to see it as the turning of a dial. And we're just trying to turn that dial up ever so slightly so that we can get more toward that, that knowing that I am enough. And then having that is going to make everything else work a lot more smoothly. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Thank you so much. I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> it's fun. I'm enjoying this. I love your questions. Oh, I love it. Oh, thank you so, so much. And thank you, you know, for your, for your, your nugget, your gem, because I, I'm sure, um, yeah, our audience are, are just going to love that. And, and like my mission, I don't know if you, you know, found out anything about me, but my mission is for everyone on the planet to feel enough. And, and that's exactly it. So it just ties in perfectly. So, I'm so thank glad. So, so much. And uh, I wish you well on the next part of your journey and, and what you're doing because it, it sounds amazing. And uh, we will keep in touch. Yes, most definitely. Thank you, Ash. Uh, we appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Women of Strength podcast. Please feel free to share the word with the women of strength in your life. For more information, go to angewilcock.com slash enough said.